welcome everybody. Welcome to the Industry 4.0 weekly live Q&A. Uh, we're live every week on Tuesday at noon central. So make sure to get subscribed and turn on bell notifications to get notified when we go live. And uh, this, this week's, uh, actually all the podcasts are sponsored by members of the community like you guys that are in our mastermind program. You guys, if you guys want to join mastermind, you can do that with the first link in the video description and members of our mentorship program. We have a mentorship call coming up this Friday. If you guys are part of mentorship, you guys would have gotten an email. If you guys are not part of mentorship, the second link in the video description is going to be where you guys can join the waiting list for mentorship. We're going to be opening up the third wave of mentees on June, the first week of June. So uh, you guys are going to want to click that second link in the description to join the waiting list for our mentorship program. With that said, we are welcoming Omar uh, to the community spotlight. Omar, welcome. So glad to be here. So glad. Omar, my man, let me, uh, before I, we get into who you are, what you do and why you're here, uh, let me, I want to reinforce something real quick. So for those of you who, um, who are not a member of our industry 4.0, um, uh, community. So that's managed through the discord server and, you know, people who have come to IOT.university to either join the mentorship program or join digital mastermind one of the things that Zach was talking about is, you know, none of our videos are sponsored by OEMs, vendors, nothing like that. Um, although we are going to be offering sponsorships and it'll be very clear when a vendor is sponsoring a video, uh, we'll make it very clear, but that none of this stuff, we don't receive payment from any vendor that we advocate for. There's no quid pro quo and anything like that. Mm. This, this video, all this weekly Q and a that we do every week, for the uh, community is not limited to just the industry 4.0 community. It is the whole world where we give this to the entire world and it is paid for by the members of the industry 4.0 community who join mentorship and join digital mastermind. They're like-minded thinkers. They are the ones who are paying to educate the industry, um, which is just a beautiful thing. I mean, through their, through their support of these programs that, you know, the community, is funds this work each week, which is just amazing. So anyway, this week, every week we do a community spotlight. Um, Omar is, uh, Omar Ahmed is, is a, he's a business development guy with uh, Highbyte. Um, they sell the Highbyte Intelligence Hub. Um, he's an active member of our community. We invited, we want, asked him to uh, to come on and tell us a little bit about himself. So Omar, welcome. And, you know, let's start with, you know, who are you? Where do you come from and how did you, you know, get, find our community? Yeah. So first and foremost, I wanted to express my gratitude to the Intellic and the Industry 4.0 Solutions Group. I really love like communicating with you guys and working with you guys, the whole crew, all the way down from Walker to Michael Walker to Zach to Travis to John McLeod. I communicate with all of you guys regularly. You guys are doing incredible things and I'm just so grateful to be part of it. Um, a bit about myself, um, I'm a sales and business development professional. I started my career in sales and business development about eight years ago. About four years ago, I joined this quote unquote industry 4.0 space without actually knowing anything about it. Um, I joined an incredible company called Litmus Automation, had worked there for three and a half years, incredible people, incredible product. 
in um, May or in June of last year, I joined uh, the team at Highbyte um, to be part of this new company with a new problem. And um, it's been an incredible experience. And just joining the Discord group and, and speaking to so many people, it's all just been a lot of positive momentum. And even though COVID hit, and even though it's been a weird, it was a weird time when I joined the company, we've had, a, we were having a lot of success and I'm just happy and excited to be part of it. Awesome. Uh, so let me ask you this. What do you get most out of the community? You, you particularly like, so you're the first business development person we've had on uh, the spotlight. What is it since we have, you know, a, a strict, no active selling rule, right? <laughs> Which, and we do that because these communities normally get overrun with just yeah. people trying to sell each other stuff. <laughs> what, it, what is it that you get out of the, the, the industry 4.0 community, right? Specifically through the discord server. Yeah. So the discord server has been such an, like an amazing opportunity just to learn and to hear other people's points of view about industry 4.0. Um, I also have been able to just meet and network with so many incredible people, system integrators, um, as well as manufacturing end users and just, so it's a place to learn and it's a place to meet new people. Um, and it's cool to find people who are passionate about the same thing as you. And I think that's probably why I really like, you know, the team at Intellic and I've industry 4.0 solutions, because you guys are really passionate about what you do. Um, and that's really cool. So that's, awesome. I, I say that. Awesome. Uh, Marion, thank you for the super chat. Appreciate you. Thank you. Um, uh, let me ask you this. So let's talk about high a little bit. So, um, uh, it, for those of you guys who don't know, Highbyte is the company. The Intelligence Hub is the product. The company was started a year and a year, year and a half or so, or so ago by Tony Payne, John Harrington, and Tori. Right, those are the three partners that came in to start the company. Um, and you know, it, 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 they're filling a, a hole in the market. Okay, that that um, you know, Highbyte is was the first unified namespace specific product that we ever reviewed. Okay. So it does modeling on the edge connectors out the wazoo to do your modeling and your flows. It can also serve as your unified namespace. So it's, it's sort of a, one of those omniscient omnipresent, um, tools, but you know, there's, there's the theoretical, you know, the theoretical use case that I talk about all the time. Right. But what I, what I'd like to ask you, Omar is where are, you know, Highbyte's getting a ton of traction. If I, it doesn't matter who I talk to, literally every client I talk to is is bringing up the intelligence hub, bringing up Highbyte. Uh, we're architecting it into our solutions. But from your, you you get to see clients I don't see. What are the key use cases um, that uh, Highbyte is most of, is being leveraged for most in the industry right now? Yeah. So it has been incredible to be able to see. You know, the excitement and the adoption, I would say that the main taking separating the theoretical from the practical, um, the main use cases we are seeing are around uh, a connecting to disparate sources of industrial data. Typically, we're seeing an OPC server being one of them. And also SQL is huge for us right now, SQL databases merging and also some bespoke databases, merging that data together, creating a standardized contextualized and normalized data model 
and then being able to send that data to the most common um, end sources right now are Microsoft Azure and AWS right now. I would say those are the most practical things we're seeing. We're also seeing some SCADA there as well, pulling and pushing to various SCADA systems. Awesome. And so here's my, you know, when I talk about Hybyte, people will, you know, the a common question that I get is, you know, why if 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 AWS has IoT IoT Greengrass, so the Azure AWS has the AWS IoT Greengrass, AWS IoT Sitewise, right, which is the edge component of the AWS infrastructure, and Azure has Azure IoT Edge, and basically, you know, Litmus Automation, for example, has their own edge component, right? Connectors on the edge that they do. I, I don't does. I don't remember if Litmus does actual modeling or not, but it does have an edge component and then it streams into the Litmus cloud service, right? And then you do your learning and push it back to the edge. People will ask me, well, why do I, why do I need to use, you know, why, why use Hybyte, the intelligence hub versus using, you know, AWS's solution or Azure's solution or whatever. And my answer is Hybyte was designed to, was designed by people with industrial expertise, right? Tony Payne, my respect for Tony Payne cannot be overstated, right? I've been working with Kepware. Tony is responsible for building Kepware, right? I mean, he he built the company for the, you know, and then PTC bought it and he had a different vision and moved on to do this high bite component and still stayed partnered with PTC, right? They still have a relationship. You guys do. Tony has a has 20 more than 20 years of experience doing nothing but data connectivity or industrial data connectivity and collection, right? The teams at Amazon Web Services and Azure and, you know, they, they're, they're not industrial people. What they did was they made, they made square solutions fit round holes, right? That's what they did. Now, Amazon Web Services through acquiring, you know, hiring people like Michael Brown, who has nothing but industrial data experience, that gives them better bona fides, right? But what I say to people all the time is that Hybyte is was designed specifically by people who have expertise in collecting industrial data, doing industrial data modeling, right? So that's number one. That that's piece number one. Number two, it's agnostic. Hybyte is one hundred percent agnostic. It is literally designed to talk to everything. It's not designed to talk to one solution's infrastructure. So let me ask you this: that those are the reasons I say why Hybyte. But let me ask you this: the two key questions that you get in the market right now when you're talking to customers are what when it, when people say hey you know you know if something's missing if you, or this is the reason I, you know if they're if they're raising an objection as to why they don't want to be using the intelligence hub what are those what are those key questions what are those key objections that you're seeing right now yeah so i wouldn't say we get too much as far as traditional objections but as far as technical requirements the two major you know, lifts that we are working on this year, one would be um, not currently having an MQTT broker or broker within the actual product. That's probably um, the second, biggest, that's probably the biggest question I get all the time. Yep. And yeah, that's a big question. The second is having a sort of a master or centralized um, you know, edge hub to be able to manage multiple facilities. Awesome. Uh, and when are we gonna see when are we gonna see that broker? So, you know, I, I think we're pushing for the first half of the year is seems like the time frame for having that. Awesome. So I, I basically tell everyone, you know, I expect Aaron to have a 
a beta ready Aaron and Tony to have a beta ready probably in April sometime, you know, and I know that there's, so there's already some core functionality there that they're playing with, right? That's the, that's my understanding. Okay, cool. Awesome. Correct. Correct. Yeah. All right. So I've got a, um, I, I would love, I don't know if you want to stay on for the whole, the whole hour, but I would love for you to stay on the next 15 minutes. Cause I'm actually going to do something a little different this week. Um, sure. and, and I want to kind of chime in here. So, um, I appreciate you joining Omar. I, let me say personally, absolutely love working with you guys. Love working with you specifically. Love the gang at High Bite. Uh, here's a newsflash. The community might be surprised to hear this. Not everyone likes me. Um, you know, <laughs> I don't get along with everyone because I don't think about people's feelings. And, you know, I'm, I'm a slave to the mission. I'm a slave to the truth, right? Um, so, but the guys at High Bite, we have an incredible working relationship because we share common values. And that... Yeah. That that means a lot to me. Yeah, very, just it means a lot. Yep. Yeah, the team, uh, the team, your team. We guys, we think of you guys as the Chicago Bulls of, you know, the '93, '94 Chicago Bulls of the 4.0 with, uh, and um, you know, you guys are bringing that spark and enthusiasm to typically what may be considered a dry subject and making it exciting. So we awesome. appreciate that very much. Appreciate you, brother, man. All right, cool. All right, so let's uh, let me go ahead and share my screen here. Quick, quick um, pause. Yeah, man. Uh, next week, you guys, we're going to be doing the live Q and A on site of the Canary Road, uh, the road show. So yeah, big announcement. We just confirmed it with this in the last hour, right? So, uh, so for yeah, let me do that announcement right now. Then, got that, um, got that, bro. All right, cool. So next week, um, so Canary Labs, the Canary Labs historian, they um, Canary Labs is doing like a, a year long road show. So they're going to travel all over the country and do. Uh, free training for the community um, and teach the community a, cu a couple of it's a two day session. Um, we're we're going to be in Arlington. Uh, I'll be presenting. I'll actually be doing the the steps to digital transformation presentation. Um, uh, I think right along where uh, Canary's talking about unified namespace and ignition, and they're actually going to be teaching like how to do those integrations. Um, and so what we did was we actually reached out to Jeff Nepper this morning, going, you know what, we ought to like. Let's let's do the live Q and A from the session, from the from the Canary Labs training next week, and so we are going to get to do that. So we're actually going to do it live uh, in the training room. There will be integrators there and end users there who will be able to ask live questions that they want to, and then we'll be answering questions from the community um, as well. So, and then Jeff Nepper is going to be our community spotlight uh, next week, live from the show. Jeff Nepper of Canary Labs. So. Uh, real quick, uh, Omar, I'm going to answer a question. Matthew Paris said, uh, why do people want Intelligence Hub to have an MQTT broker built in? Do they see the Intelligence Hub itself to serve as the main connection between applications rather than a vanilla MQTT broker? I'll go ahead and chime in here on this, Matt. Um, so the the answer to your question is one of the, the way that the Intelligence Hub is being built is if you look at say AWS's IoT solutions or or which we love, I'm a huge AWS fan. So don't take this in any way, shape, or form as AWS IoT is not amazing. So let's let's use Azure, um, which is less amazing. Okay, um, Azure IoT has two components, right? Well, they have many components, but they have two core components. They have Azure IoT Edge, and then they have Azure IoT Hub. Okay. Where HiByte is different is that HiByte can serve as the edge and the hub component. 
the exact same tool. So it, it, it's, the, it's the idea of creating a unified namespace that can be omniscient and omnipresent. The one high byte intelligence hub can, can live on the edge or, or at the hub layer in the cloud or at any of the other layers in the stack. And so in order, in order to provide full capability, the, one of the questions that keeps coming up in the, especially with our customers who are using um, Highbyte is we, we want a broker, we want Highbyte to have a broker specifically where I think we're, it's going to be used is on the edge. When you have a local broker on the edge, that's going to be transmitted to a much bigger broker that in our opinion is most likely going to be like EMQ, which is the one that we're using uh, at the cloud layer. Hopefully that answered your question, Matt. Um, all right, cool. I, I want to th this. I'm going to do something a little different this week. All right. So um, I, I've talked about um, I've talked about uh, John Rinaldi from Real Time Automation uh, several times. So guy, I have a huge amount of respect for. Um, John does a um, a newsletter um, that he sends out. I think it's every quarter. And the new newsletter just came out, okay? And in his newsletter, he has an article in there he wrote called Rapid Digitalization of Manufacturing, question mark. Welcome to Fantasy Island. What say you? And it, it, literally, this just got sent out to our team this morning. Um, uh, Tanya sent this out to our whole engineering team, and I read it like 45 minutes before we came on. And I said, you know, I really should like read this, and let's, let's answer some questions that he raises here, okay? So I'm going to go ahead and read the article. Zach is going to include um, uh, the link to the, there's a longer article that he wrote, a blog post on his website. Zach will include that for you guys. Um, and it's, it's actually in here, but I'm going to read it real quick. So John says, you know, I often wonder if, uh, real quick, hold on. Uh, Rinaldi is also the same guy who I met with a few years ago where we had this holy war discussion between MQTT and OPCUA. His initial position was MQTT is not the future of digital of IoT infrastructure, OPC UA is, and then he posted his Mia Culpa last year. So I, I'm it's the same guy when I say Rinaldi, very very highly respected guy in the community. I am one of those people who has the utmost respect for John. So, um, so he, he the article goes like this: I often wonder if I'm a square peg in a round hole. I see things differently than many in our industry do, and honestly. It sometimes bothers me. The other day I was looking at the agenda for a Zoom conference and the abstract for the keynote address said in part, quote, it's time that manufacturers adopt rapid digitalization, end quote. That stopped me in my tracks. Here's the CEO of a Fortune 500 company saying something so utterly half-baked and ludicrous that I was dumbfounded. Uh, maybe he sees something I can't see and that's the reason he's CEO of a Fortune 500 monstrous company and I have a tiny company with almost as many chickens as people. Don't get me wrong, I believe in digitalization, and he does. The objectives are as admirable, admirable as they are ambitious. Establishing Ethernet as the sole physical layer, um, I disagree, that is not, the, that is not a, an objective of rapid digitalization, but I get his point. Establishing a single communication standard to support everything from sensor to cloud communications, Again, that's an absolute statement that isn't entirely true. Uh, decoupling hardware platforms from software pl applications, absolutely true. Reshaping IT and OT departments, absolutely true. Enabling machine learning and artificial intelligence at the edge, 
such that data can be processed and responded to quickly. I think that's all admirable. And we agree, John. Where I part ways with many is that I think it is very difficult, if not near impossible, to disrupt the interlocking ecosystems of the major suppliers, distributors, and integrators, as well as their customers who have operations designed for compatibility with those ecosystems. Quickly replacing all that with an entirely new industrial ecosystem of new suppliers, new distributors, and new integrators adept at deploying new industry 4.0 tools, processes, and methodologies is a fantasy. Here's what is needed to make this fantasy a reality. So before I go through his points, it is not a fantasy. This is the real world. It is happening today. It's been happening for the last seven years. He is absolutely right when he says that if what you want to do is disrupt the interlocking ecosystems of major suppliers, distributors, and integrators, as well as their customers who have operations designed for compatibility with those ecosystems, is going to be hard. He's absolutely right. But I, I want to comment here. All right. Those large Fortune 500 companies know it's hard too. And so there's basically three types of companies out there right now, manufacturers, okay? Manufacturer number one started in the fourth industrial revolution and they don't need to digitally transform, okay? They have been able to build their plant from the ground up without having to use the current ecosystem of major suppliers, distributors, and integrators. They pick different suppliers, they don't use distributors, and they use the right integrators, okay? Um, that's company number one, the industry 4.0 company. By the way, they're kicking, they're kicking the market's ass. The vast majority of those companies do not allow you to mention their name. They don't want to be known well yet. They, their, their, their um, competitive advantage in the market is that they have gone ahead and used disruptive technology and then didn't tell anybody about it. They just gloat over the bottom line. Okay. Now, there are some companies who are sharing that technology. Tesla happens to be one of them, which is why we mentioned Tesla, because Tesla allows you to talk about their technology. They give away their patents. They're sharing it with the world. But most of the other Industry 4.0 companies, especially the ones that we work with, do not give us permission to use their name. We are not allowed to mention them. We're not allowed to mention their technology. But I assure you, <laughs> those companies exist. And many of them in the, are in the Fortune 500 and Global 100. Here's company number two. Company number two is the existing Industry 3.0 company who A, has either created the will within their organization to get their current operations to digitally transform. That's only one out of 12 companies, by the way. So when I talk about this, when we talk to these huge companies, 11 out of 12, we walk away going, they're either getting bought or they're going broke. Okay, one out of 12, one out of 12 is the company who can get the organization to change, right? So that's organization number two. Organization number three is the large organization who has said, we can't get our current manufacturing operations to change. So what we're doing is creating a whole new business unit that is our industry 4.0 business unit and there, that's the company where, where, that was going to be making all the money for us when the industry 3.0 company goes broke. And, and these companies, by the way, these companies are the biggest names on the planet. Okay. So when we, the companies we're working with who have created this whole other business unit because they couldn't get, they're one of the, 
their in their manufacturing operations are one of the 11 of 12 those companies have created a whole new unit no one else thought knows about it's all on the down low it's all confidential it is it's all obfuscated in their in their stock reports or in the prospectus reports every quarter and it's and it's the it's the future of their business when the industry 3.0 manufacturer goes broke so that's the third company okay there's really a fourth one and that's one that's either going to get bought or go broke okay but we know that so let's talk about John's points here real quick number 1 John says that the only way this is going to work is manufacturers first would have to come to believe that the benefits of digitalization substantial savings profits and efficiencies are actually achievable results are mixed on that right now this is not true he's right they do have to come to believe the benefits um, are actually achievable the results are not mixed there is a prevailing belief in the market that results are mixed but the results are not mixed if you use the ste the correct steps to digital transformation you pick the right partners you have the right strategy you use the right technology you're gonna succeed okay we do not have an example of a client who has adopted the right strategy is using the right technology and has partnered with the right people who have failed we don't have that example okay john's wrong the results are not mixed but there are organizations who can't get out of their own way and that and those are the companies who are failing with bullet point number one bullet point number two he says manufacturers would have to be willing to reinvent their organizations absolutely they got to restructure and reorganize the responsibilities roles and processes of both it and ot industry 4.0 companies start with it ot convergence it's already been done they the company gets created with it and ot merged together okay so they don't have that problem the company who successfully that one in 12 who successfully goes from industry 3.0 to 4.0 they they merge the they merge it and ot and they do it through strong leadership by rooting out the people who are preventing you from doing that convergence okay and the third company is an industry 4.0 company the third type okay number three the tools for digitalization must be available well understood and standardized the digital transformation cannot happen without the platforms software and tools supporting it and they exist. We talk about them all the time. Highbyte is one of those technologies. They, it's not like these have to be created. They already exist. The reason most people don't know about them is because the organizations who have a vested interest in the status quo control nearly all of the messaging. Okay. But if you look at the Our Industry 4.0 Discord server, who has more than 1,200 something members of like minded thinkers, they're not getting their messaging from Rockwell and they're not getting it from Siemens and they're not getting it from these guys. They're getting it from the community. Okay. I say this all the time. You want to know why we're popular content creators? Because we say things everybody else already thinks. That's it. I come on here and I'm, I say things that all these members already think. They already believe these things. And it's a moth to a flame. The difference is, is I have fuck you money. I get to, I don't have to. I don't have Rockwell, Siemens, the big companies cannot, they cannot use money to get me to say something they want me to say. And they use money to get their distributors to say the right thing. They use money and influence 
to get their vendor, their their partners to, to say the right thing, to get the OPC Foundation to say the right thing, the standard boards to say the right thing. They can't do that with us, okay? Uh, number four, vendors would have to provide the open hardware systems, virtual containers, and operating systems to power edge devices. Already exists, John. It's already there. We talk about it all the time. Here's just one example. Just one example sitting on my desk. There's a bunch more examples sitting behind me, okay? Software vendors would have to provide the plethora of open application tools to build the apps. They already exist. We talk about them all the time. Why do you believe, why do you believe that the fastest growing piece of industrial software on the planet is what? You can ask anybody. What is the fastest growing piece of industrial software on the planet? Ignition. It is Ignition, without a doubt. Ignition's market share since 2012 went from less than 1% to almost a third in the United States. Why? Unlimited pricing model, open architecture. It's a platform for solving problems. It already exists, John. Okay? Last, certification standards would have to be in place to govern how these open systems interact and exchange I.O. and data. They, those emerging certifications and standards bodies, are they are coming out now. Is the OPC Foundation going to be the governing standards body for the IOT infrastructure? The answer is not unless they change the way they do things. Okay? Is ISA going to be the standards body long term? The answer is not unless they change the way they do things. But there are emerging, there are emerging certifications and standards bodies who are handling all this work for us. Okay? So he says, all this is to say, a bridge too far. The interlocking ecosystems of trade organizations, vendors, and user organizations are going to slow the adoption of any technologies and processes that disrupt the prevailing order. I agree with you 100%, John. There is too much money at stake. The ecosystems are too integrated, and organizations just won't change fast enough for a real tipping point that leads to massive change. But then again, I'm not the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. I'm just some Wisconsin cheesehead saying the emperor has no clothes. Am I right? You tell me. I wrote a more complete article about this on our website. John, uh, Zach, please share the link with the community. I'm, I'm telling John, his premise is 100% true. Everything that he is saying is absolutely true. These things absolutely have to happen. Here's the difference. John is a victim of the John is a victim of his first his second paragraph. The other day I was looking at the agenda for some Zoom conference and the abstract for the keynote address said in part. Stop going to those conferences. Start getting your information about the industry from from people who are not beholden to the the current order. Okay. If you go, you go to ARC, if you go to ARC or CSIA or any, you know, any of these shows, those shows are the, the top um, um, marketing, marketing ad spend for those shows are the companies who have a vested interest in the status quo. Okay. All right. So let, let me say this. John is absolutely right in his premise. The difference is, is all those points that John laid out, that's not fantasy. That's reality. That's today. That's what we've been doing for the last seven years. It's what this community's been doing. 
We are literally training. I had a, I had a, I'm going to make two points here. Number one, we had a call with a really, really large company that's building a brand new industry 4.0 facility, ground up, huge investment, billion dollars. Okay. And they want us to be the architects for the solution. All right. And they asked the question to me. They said, you know, they asked, they did all the normal stuff. How big are you guys? How many developers do you have? Yada, yada, yada. And, you know, our company is not that big. You know, we're a little over 40 people in, to in total, you know, permanent manpower through all of our partnerships. Okay. And they said, well, how do you scale up? And my answer is, we're training the community that we're going to leverage. And then I went to the Discord server and said, we literally are, the, we have 16 graduates who are coming out of this step one training who go through the same three training our engineers go through. We are literally creating a community of people that are going to solve these problems. Because one of the barriers we have to overcome is the traditional integrator model, right? So I, I answered that question to him. Number two, over the weekend, Zach flew out here to Dallas. We shot content all weekend. One of the videos we shot was AWS IoT versus Azure IoT, okay? So what is the difference? Most people don't know. They, what is the difference? There, AW, you, have two, you have an example of the open, the open strategies that, we, that, we, that John says you got to have. And then you've got an example of not so open strategies that are holding us back. If you compare Azure IoT to AWS, there's really no comparison. If you're using Azure IoT, you're creating more work for yourself. It doesn't mean that you can't create an industry 4.0 infrastructure or an IoT infrastructure using the technology we promote using Azure. Okay, you can, but it is a heavier engineering lift than it is with AWS. Why? Because Microsoft has a vested strategic interest in AMQP over MQTT. They own AMQP. So they're, from a business perspective, they are not going to promote a competing broker technology. Doesn't mean that they're not going to support it because the market's demanding it. But they're not going to, they're going to make it easier to use AMQP, number one. Number two, Microsoft is an OPC partner. Okay. They are a member, they're partners with the OPC Foundation. They're members of the OPC Foundation. They're also Rockwell Automation Partners. Okay. So Azure, Microsoft has a vested interest in pushing Microsoft, uh, Rockwell solutions. They have a vested interest in pushing the OPC UA, um, with what pushing the OPC UA data model. AWS doesn't have any of that. AWS supports Spark Plug B out of the box. Azure does not. Azure gives you an SDK that'll allow you to build one if you want. That was the compromise, right? That's the compromise they have with their partners is that, hey, we'll give you an SDK so you can build it if you want to, but we're not going to make it easy for you. That is an example of what John's talking about here, okay? That is, that's what John's talking about here. All right, any, any questions, uh, Zach, I need to answer related to this that popped up through the chat? Uh, Cheryl said she agree or perception and change management issues, not available technology are the bigger problems. Zach Wooten agreed. Let me uh, point out here. So my response to, to if you guys want to know, um, yeah, that's right, Mason, um, that Microsoft is a strategic partner to Wonderware. Um, here, let me let me tell you a story, guys. You guys might appreciate this. Do you know who the first company was that um, had, a, had an opportunity to, to adopt MQTT technology? The first SCADA company? It was company? Wonderware. It was Wonderware. It was Wonderware. 
uh, maybe seven, eight years ago. And what did Wonderwear, what, what was, what, how did Wonderwear respond to that? They I said, who are you or something? They said, who are you? Wonderwear had an opportunity. Okay. Then um, when, when Cirrus Link went to inductive automation and they pitched MQTT to inductive automation, they had a module written by the end of the week. They said, absolutely. This is, this is perfect. This is beautiful. Let's do it. Guess who one of the most renees, one of the most recent adopters of Sparkplug B was? Aviva. Seven years late. That is not a that they they came back seven years later and adopted it after they allowed a real leader, inductive automation, to adopt it and prove it. So who do you want to partner with when you're innovating your organization? Are you going to pick Aviva, the company who couldn't see? The potential in MQTT, or are you going to adopt? Are you going to use inductive automation, or Tatsoft, or Canary Labs, or Flow Software, or any of the other two hundred adopters? To me, it's self-evident. Okay, here are my answers to John. Number one, rapid digitalization is hard, but it's not fantasy. Okay. Number two, manufacturers exist who realize the value and have reorganized their businesses. They exist. Some of them are hidden, you don't know about it, and they're just gobbling up the market, and some of them you do know of. Number three, the tools exist. The tools already exist to do this. Number four, the open hardware systems exist. Okay, PLC Next is the latest emergent technology that is an open hardware system. And by the way, outside of the Groove Epic, it looks like the PLC Next is the most open piece of hardware we have ever come across, okay? Ira, you guys have done a ridiculous job developing this PLC. And at this price point, this is the godfather offer that people talk about all the time. Um, e, the open software solutions exist. Enter ignition, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The latest and most emergent technology, Highbyte Intelligence Hub. And that was 18 months ago, okay? New certification and standards bodies exists. And let me make this point. Our Industry 4.0 community is made up of people where most people see a challenge, innovators see opportunity. Okay? You want to know why people think Walker's a jerk? Um, PLC Next, Phil. PLC Next, Phil Scruggs. Um, what he said, what was that open hardware solution just described? PLC Next uh, by, um, Phoenix uh, by Phoenix Contact. Uh, we're going to be do, we're dem, we're uh, putting it through the gauntlet right now, but I can tell you right now it is incredible, incredible. Yeah, if you guys didn't see my PLC Next parody video, you can watch that video here. Thank you guys for all the support on that video. I was surprised by that. Um, yeah, you know, Phoenix Contact did just a redonkulous job. So we're going to have to put together a a list of you know price points like PLC Next is you know their price points just absurd. I mean, honestly, in terms of value relative to price point and you know it's openness. pretty sick openness yeah. it, it is by far the most open piece of hardware we you know outside of the groove epic it is the most open piece of hardware we've seen so far um zach fired by blake all right uh and then uh, want to say this where most people see a challenge innovators see opportunity the reason people think i'm a jerk you know i'm the bad guy so when we go meet with huge companies there's always a caveman internally there's somebody who's putting their own self-interest before the interest of the company. 
they're, they're, you know, they, they, they've already adopted some legacy technology that they're just fighting tooth and nail to keep. I'm the guy who makes them look stupid in the meeting. That's my job. That's not the rest of my team's job. That's my job. My job is to have the answer to every one of their objections. And I do, I do. Okay. And, and, but those are people who see challenge. They don't see opportunity. The people who stand firm on the status quo, who the people who are looking out for their own self-interest, those are people who see challenge. They don't see opportunity. This community is made up of people who see opportunity. Okay. All right. Um, any questions? See the truth, not the agenda. Michael Brown, my man. Michael Brown, my man. Uh, so AWS, um, I was talking about this earlier. You know, Michael Brown is the guy, you know, he, he's, if you're going to be doing any type of industrial solution at AWS, he's the guy to call. Um, he gets it. He gets it. Um, all right, here we go. The, uh, let me go through our solutions here. Oh, by the way, that article that I wanted you to, uh, it's called The Massive Pothole on the Road to Digitalization. That link will take you to this. It's a more in-depth comment. Agree with everything that John says. The only difference is the, these solutions exist. They're already here, okay? All right, uh, that is a great picture of you, Omar, by the way. All right, here we go. Um, question number one, I just want to, Zach, do you want to comment on what yeah, Matthew Paris so said here? Yep. Matt, uh, Matt Paris noticed that uh, well, when we, we upgraded our Mi 6 bot and our Discord server to the premium version, which gave us the ability to customize our Mi 6 bot. So we named it IIoT bot. And Matt noticed that the Mi 6 bot actually welcomed the IIoT bot into the server. And he said, I think this channel has reached the singularity. The bots are self-replicating and welcome each other. Looks like Zach has accepted the inevitable and is welcoming the bots to respectable strategy for getting on their good side. And I, I want to say one additional thing, Matt Paris. Um, we've created a Discord server that's built on our IoT methodology, which is it is fully self-aware. Um, hey, by the way, a uh, couple of there are a couple of members of the community who have. I mean, there's a, a, many members of the community who blow me away, but. There are two that I'm absolutely really blown away by. And I keep talking about all the time, like, man, hey, this guy and that guy are just or maybe it could be a gal because it's just initials. But there are two people who I truly enjoy every one of their detailed responses. And there, there are a lot of them I enjoy, but I want to call out two people specifically. And that's Matt Paris. Love the stuff that Matt is doing on the server. And then JS, whoever JS is. I think we know who JS is, but... I love uh, JS's contribution. Many times when Matt and JS are commenting, they're saying things that I would have said if I had answered. I believe that. JS is Jeffrey. Uh, All Jeffrey. right, right, Jeffrey. Yeah. Yep. All right, here we go. Uh, Luke asked, um, "Has anyone got any PacL PacML AOIs for the Logic Five Thousand, or any advice on integrating at the PLC layer?" Uh, here's my recommendation: um, You should start with uh, IA Simp uh, QS eighteen. Um, reading the PacML 3.0 state model integration um, discussion, which is in Appendix A. I would start there, okay? Um, in terms of getting the add-on instructions themselves, or actually it's a profile that'll give you the AOIs, um, I tried to go grab them, but I couldn't get them. Um, but if anyone does have them, could you please to, uh, you know, make them available in the server? Um, please. Uh, but I would start with uh, IASIMP 
this document, IASIMPQS18, all right, uh, Appendix A. All right. Um, Thank you, Luke. Yep. And then A-U-K-E, I don't know how to pronounce your name, AUK. Uh, any thoughts on particle IO would be interesting. Okay, this is a good question. Um, here is how I would describe particle IO. Particle IO is um, a, uh, a, it's a smaller company that creates standard digital thread technology, right? They have an edge component. They have a piece of edge hardware that you're going to do modeling and connectivity. You may do pre-processing of data. The goal is to get that as quickly as possible into their cloud solution. When you're going to do machine learning, you're basically going to train the models in the cloud, push them to the edge. So this would be equivalent to, to Azure IoT, just like Azure IoT, except it's called Particle IO. Um, it, I have not, I'm going to do a deeper dive with these guys um, to understand if there's any value add that differentiates them. Um, in, in the world of cloud IoT solutions, you, know, you have two big boys. You got, a, you got Azure IoT and you got AWS. Our Azure versus AWS video, Zach, when are we going to publish that? Expect that tomorrow, you guys. That'll publish tomorrow. In a nutshell, you know, AWS is more open. You know, it's adopt, you know, adopted Spark Plug B is going to natively integrate with a unified namespace far easier than, um, than Azure IoT will. Um, you're going to have to do a heavier engineering lift on the Azure side. You're also going to have to deal with all the strategic components where Microsoft is trying to steer you towards OPC UA modeling, steering you towards AMQP, steering you towards um, you know, Rockwell solutions alongside it. Whereas AWS is the more open company, natively integrates with a unified namespace based on MQTT Spark Plug B. And you know, guys like Michael Brown are a member of the community and already advocate for the importance of having an IIoT platform on the plant floor to unlock potential. Whereas Azure is trying to steer you towards we want Microsoft to be your IIoT infrastructure, not part of your IIoT infrastructure. Okay. Uh, Mazen asks a question: If a if a if a site has a few dozen PLCs and an existing Kepware server that's already talking to them, which strategy is better for an ignition gateway? Connect directly to the PLCs or through Kepware? Through Kepware. Mazen, don't don't waste your time going. You know, trying to go to the PLCs. This is what I say. Let's talk about ignitions drivers. Ignition is not in the business of writing drivers. That's not what they're great at. Okay. Ignition is outstanding at creating, creating an open platform, right? They, they, you know, inductive automation created ignition exists because Rockwell and Wonderware and Siemens and Schneider, et cetera, et cetera, et all were operating the way they were operating. Steve Heckman, he ran an integrator. He got sick of their business model. And he hired a couple of guys out of UC Davis. And he said, create me my own platform, right? Um, but they built a platform, okay? For, we don't use Ignition's drivers for anything other than proof of concept or pilot. Once we go into production, we move, you know, Kepware is our OPC server of choice. Why? Because they've mastered the art. They've mastered the art of creating devices. They, I mean, you, you, you know, you can't go wrong with their solution. The risk now with Kepware is that they're owned by PTC. PTC has a partnership with Rockwell. PTC acquired Kepware so that they could get connectivity out to the edge. And they may 
they may undo some of the things that make Kepler great. That's the downside, right? I don't know if they will, but I speculate they will, all right? Um, all right, so to answer your question on particle IoT, think Azure IoT, but it's a much smaller company, but they take the exact same approach. I don't know if there's a value add yet that differentiates them. What's the difference between Hybyte Hub and Ignition Edge in terms of functionality? Ignition Edge provides visualization, um, provides a visualization, limits modeling to user-defined data types. Um, and uh, Ignition Edge is gonna be more expensive for the same um, functionality. Uh, I would, if I'm choosing, if I don't need visualization on the edge, then I'm going with Hybyte. So if I don't need, Ignition Edge was really designed to be the machine level HMI. So I would use Ignition Edge if I need a machine level HMI. If I'm just doing data connectivity, so say I'm gonna be connecting, um, then I'm gonna use Hybyte. Here's the other thing. Hybyte does not make drivers, they make connectors. So they don't make drivers native to equipment, directly to equipment, whereas Ignition Edge can talk directly to PLCs. Hybyte doesn't do that. Hybyte, and, and, you know, Aaron in a previous meeting said that they may on a case-by-case -case basis do that. But the idea is, you know, I mean, that's what Kepler does. So to achieve the machine connectivity and modeling capabilities that you're looking for, you would need Kepware and Hybyte together, whereas Ignition Edge could get you that connectivity. I would select Hybyte with Kepware, you know, a $400 a year driver specific to uh, over Ignition Edge if, if connectivity is what I want. Uh, Davey Jans, anybody able to connect a Delta V system to a UNS or broker? Answer is yes. A um, couple of different architectures, Davey. Uh, we can do a video on that. JRS89, Kepler's drivers also have some key features that Ignition or other solutions lack. Yes, Ignition is not in the business of making machine drivers. So they're, you know, they're middle of the road drivers, in my opinion. Um, not They're not bad. They're just middle of the road. You know, it's like Kepler's, that's what they do. Um, anybody have experience with Cepasoft V2 versus V3 on Ignition 7.9? Should I upgrade to V3 or stay put on V2? All right, this answer is going to get me into trouble. I don't have any doubt. I'm going to get a phone call about this later today. But I want you guys I do, I, to know I do this for the community. Um, we do not use Cepasoft's OEE modules anymore. Um, we built our own solution, MES 4.0. Um, for many reasons. Number one, we believe they're way overpriced. Um, Cepasoft's modules are too expensive, in our opinion, um, too buggy. Um, and, you know, they just, our experience has been, and, and getting, you know, that being said, my experience with the new team at Cepasoft, okay, the new group um, has been exceptional, okay? They, Cepasoft has worked very hard to improve integrator relationships and um, and to get their software less buggy over time, all right? I'm going to get in trouble for this. Someone's gonna call me and yell at me for telling you guys the truth, okay? Um, here's my answer to your question though, G-Man. I would, in general, this is what we do with Ignition and Cepasoft modules. The two modules we are using from Cepasoft that we think are absolutely amazing, there's actually three of them. Uh, we love their, uh, web services module. We don't, we only use it if we're going to use, if we want to use, um, connect to a SOAP, um, API, 
if we're going to be only using RESTful interface, then we use Ignition's web dev module. So web dev, it builds web, it allows you to connect to web services and create web services. And, and Sepasoft's web services module does the same thing. So we really like that module. Um, I really liked um, OEE 2.0, um, as long as you were going to build the solution from the ground up. So that is, you weren't going to try and migrate an OEE 1.0 to 2.0. Um, big fan of the business connector from Sepasoft, but that module was done in conjunction it, through a partnership. Um, and, and we're a big fan of that business connector. And then their SAP connector. We love that module, those three modules. In terms of like their OEE MES solutions, we don't use them anymore. Okay, we use MES 4.0. And I told them, listen, I could build what you guys build. We could do it for less than $100,000. And we did. So, um, and all of our customers use our MES 4.0 built-in ignition. Um, I would, when we do upgrade, we, we wait until they get a couple of minor releases in. So, you know, once they're at like three to three, one, one, something like that, then, you know, you know, a lot of the bugs have been worked out. Um, it's pretty hard to make the justification. You know, if, if you're locked in, if you're locked into, um, Sepasoft for Sepasoft's modules, then, um, I would stick with V2 until you get, get in, work closely with the guys at Sepasoft. The new group of guys that you got there are pretty awesome. I mean, there's a couple of guys that have been there from the beginning. I love but there's, you know, there's a couple that have been problems for us. So, um, but you know, Sepasov's a decent company. They, they created a, they, they were the ones who, um, in terms of their bravery, they built MES functionality for ignition when no one else would, when no one else had the, the balls to do it. So, um, but yeah, I would wait until you're, there are a couple of major release, uh, another minor release in a couple of minor releases in before I moved to V3. Um, Amazing. Could you please suggest ORM tools for ERP structure design that are graphic-based and scalable? Um, we almost always use Workbench and MySQL. Um, so we use the ERD builder and same thing in SQL Server. We don't generally use any third-party. We decide which, um, uh, which uh, backend we're going to use. And then we use, uh, um, then we use uh, you know, either Workbench's tools or SQL Server's tools. Uh, Mason, I'm wondering if there's a rule of thumb to indicate just how powerful the server running ignition needs to be, say number of devices, two examples, a factory with close to 50 PLCs, total IO cone around 10,000, total tags 25,000, or a smaller workshop. Here's your answer. Um, Mason, the, the, we have a standard that we give to our clients, um, and this is it right here. So we prefer to run our databases on separate servers, but we do support using a single server for both databases. So for a single instance, that is where I'm going to have database and ignition running together. Uh, we're asking for, you know, quad core processing, three gigahertz or greater, 64 gig of RAM. We're asking for eight terabyte of disk space, RAID zero, obviously, and then server 16 R2 or 19. Um, if we're going to split them out, then we want quad core three gigahertz with 32 gig of RAM, four terabyte of disk space, RAID zero, uh, Windows Server 16, 19, 16 or 19. Um, here's an important fact. An ignition gateway, um, the JVM can only grow so big and it's a, it can really only get to about 12 gig before garbage collection bogs down. So the, your ignition gateway can really only get so big. So the maximum amount of memory that your gateway is really going to consume is about 12 gig. So we start with 
32 gig as our for all of our other processes. Um, yeah, to answer your question, uh, Mattias wants to know why Windows Server. Um, here in the states, everyone standardizes on Windows, so we we just put Windows in. But um, our all of the solutions that we have running over here um, in our data center are uh, Ubuntu Server headless. So yes, you're correct. Um, but not, you know, the, the client that doesn't want to maintain, you know, via command line. Um, Mario uh, said, Walker, as I understood from previous conversations for machine state, you have one tag that can be running or in a state that determines why the machine is stopped. In my case, I've also have state that indicates it's running or not. And if not, I use another tag field to indicate the reason code. I wonder if you saw an advantage going with this model. In my case, I consider for example, downtime reasons, an explanation of a stop state. So to see if a machine was state or not, I could use one value to compare. Um, also, planned downtime is not a reason, but a classification of a reason too complex. No, not too complex. We call that mode. Um, so here, here's what we do. Um, uh, here's what we do, Mario. Um, so what we would have in that case is your running state zero or one. We would have our reason, whether that's an integer or whether that's a string. And then we would have our mode. So three tags that give us all three things. Then we would have an additional tag, which is called abstracted state. And it would be an expression that's using a switch statement and if statements to look at those other three tags and decide what our abstracted state would be. And then we could use all four of them. Okay. So if they, if uh, Mari, uh, hopefully that's clear. So we would have all three just like you're using, but then we would create an expression tag called abstracted state. And that abstracted state would use if statements and switch statements for our conditions to look at the other three tags and output just one integer, which gives us our abstracted state. And that abstracted state could be, you know, an integer that's, you know, zero to 10 is all of our reserved, uh, 10 to a thousand is our, is reserved. Anything greater than 10,000, an integer greater than 10,000 is all of our custom reasons. Yes, that's clear. Thanks. Yep. Um, holy crap. Uh, well, actually, we're just about done. Um, so I'm going to stop there, Zach. So Mario's question was the last one there. Does it, are there any other questions in the chat that I can answer before we jump off? And also, I'm going to ask Zach to um, edit the stream and take out some of the more critical stuff of Sepasoft so I don't get, you know, I knew that yeah, was coming. <laughs> I can't. I can't pick too many fights. This but at is least you guys. You guys heard my honest, honest, unfiltered answer. But anyone who watches this back will not is not going to hear that. This is why you guys should subscribe and join live every week. This is why you should watch live so you can hear the the unfiltered. But yeah, just take the more critical stuff out of there, Zach. Please, guys. We'll see you guys uh, next week. Thank you for joining. Well, hold on. Any. I just want to make sure I don't have any additional questions. That's okay. Thank you, guys. Um. Rafi said he will laugh. Oh, uh, shout out to Blake for joining. <laughs> Blake. I hope everyone are... understands the Blake reference in that you video. That funny. was that was funny. Yeah. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, uh, join live from this day forward. That's right. Yes. Um, appreciate you guys. Uh, hopefully this was valuable. Please let, hey, let us know in the comments whether that review of that newsletter was um, was valuable. Um, or do we just want to stick to the questions? All right. Appreciate it, guys.